All right, thank you, church. All right, chapter number five. You just keep your seats tonight, and we're just going to start here in verse number seven and work our way down. We do understand that verses one uh, through six was dealing with the riches of mankind and the effect that it can have. And then we got right down here into uh, verse number seven, where the Bible says to be patient, therefore, brethren. So we understand who we are uh, hearing about and who this uh, epistle is written to right here concerning the brethren. It says, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. So there was an exhortation of patience for the church, for these born-again believers to uh, understand that the, the coming of the Lord is nigh. We are going to look at that in just a moment. But in the meantime, before Christ comes, we need to be patient, understanding there's some things that the Lord is wanting to do between now and between the time the church was established until the time that he comes to bring the church out. Okay, So this exhortation here uh, is in view of the Lord's coming. And so... Uh, James says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold. So that we're to be patient. They are to be patient. We are to be patient from the coming of the Lord. But James says, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Now, as I was considering this, there's some key words that I want to take notice in verse number seven. Number one is waiteth. All right, behold, the husbandman waiteth. Well, we're being exhorted, or the church was being exhorted. The Jew uh, that had been saved by the grace of God had been exhorted to be patient, therefore. And although that that patience is being uh, expressed, the need for patience was being expressed, that we find that the Bible says, uh, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. So there's this matter of waiting. What is, what is the husbandman waiting? Who is the husbandman? The Lord. And who is the Lord waiting on? The Lord is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Now we know that precious is simply a uh, means of great price or highly valued, okay? So we understand here that uh, uh, it, it says worth a lot in value uh, and the less there are the more value, uh, the less there are the more value is present. So when we look at this definition of present, we under, or precious, excuse me, we understand that uh, something that is precious to you is worth can be worth a great deal, but the less there is of that thing, the more in value it becomes. So it could be jewelry, it could be anything. The something that's worth a lot, that's in small production, is worth more the less there is of it, right? And so we know that you can find that in in coins or or jewelry or whatever, guns. It doesn't matter. You find some people uh, have a a, a a gun manufacturing outfit will manufacture a gun that only is one of 12 or something like that. It'll be worth a lot more than the average run. You understand what I'm saying? So here's what I want you to see. It says, and hath long patience for it until he uh, received the early and lighter rain. This matter of uh, long patience 
You'll find a similar word in 2 Peter 3 and 9. The, Lord, uh, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is this precious fruit? This precious fruit is souls. And so when we look at James 5, 7, we, the Bible says, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience. Why does he have long patience? See, we're, we were being exhorted, the, the church is being exhorted in verse 7 to be patient therefore. Why? Because they were saying in their heart, even so come Lord Jesus. They were ready to go be with the Lord. And there's some things as we're learning when we was talking about patience last week that there will be some endurance. We understand that there's this matter of, of tribulation, right? And tribulation worketh patience. And patience what? You understand what I'm saying? Experience. And experience what? Hope. And so there's this learning process and this exhortation to be patient. But then we find that the Lord is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, long-suffering is this. Bearing injuries or provocation for a long time, patient, not easily provoked. So we find here that long-suffering is, uh, can be used in the same context as this word patient in James chapter number 5 in verse number seven, essentially this is basically what I'm saying. The precious fruit, the souls, the husband waited for the souls, hath long patience for these souls until he received the early and the latter rain. What does the early and latter rain mean? Well, you'll agree with me, I think, that in the day and time that we live in, we are so removed from our connection to that of agriculture that we don't pay a whole lot of attention where our food comes from or how we get it. People think that milk comes from a carton. They don't realize it comes from a cow. And they think that orange juice comes from a jug. They don't realize it comes from the orange that hangs on the tree. And people are removed from, from agricultural practices, all right? And just to give you a little, uh, to be lighthearted, but not to make jokes tonight, we understand that the ice box wasn't even around till 1802. And so 1,800 years after Christ died, Brother Gene, people were still having to work day in and day out and find ways of preserving their food. We don't have that today. We can food and put food in the refrigerator and, and we talk about electricity and we know that uh, electricity, friend, is not something that's been around for a long, long time. It's been around, but our being able to harness it and use it in the way that we do has not been around for a long period of time. So we've really got spoiled to this mindset today of what it takes to provide food for ourselves and for our families. But in this matter of agriculture, you find that you can't grow food without rain. And you, you must have the rain to grow the food. Okay, and so there's this matter of, of early and latter rain. Early rain helped prepare the ground for seed. And when you look at things seasonally, if you've got hard, dry ground, you're not going to turn that ground and you're not going to put seed in it. And if you do, that seed will not come out of the ground. There has to be moisture in the ground. I'll never forget it. it took me, I remember, I don't remember if it was 2016 or 15, we had an extreme drought that year. It took me four months to get the groundwork to get ryegrass sowed in the field. 
We'd work, I would wait for it to rain and I would, I would disc ground as long as it was raining and as soon as the rain would stop, the ground was powder again. That's how dry it was. And literally when we planted that field, we didn't know if it was gonna come up just because we didn't have the moisture that we needed. So early rain is, is to prepare the ground for seed. The latter rain were the showers necessary to bring the harvest to maturity. All right, and so we see this, and you find it in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, uh, verse 13, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine, and thine oil. And so we see that this context of early rain or first rain and latter rain is that for help of preparation to plant seed and then the rain that's needed to bring this seed to maturity, right? And we know that the fields are wide unto harvest, right? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. But we know that in this dispensation that we're in right now, the only thing that has kept God from telling Christ to come and bring the church isn't that all isn't that we're waiting on prophecy to be fulfilled. It isn't that we're that something has to happen in order for Christ to come back. The only thing that has to happen for Christ to come back is for God to tell Jesus to go get the church, and it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen as a thief cometh in the night, right? And so I want you to understand here, simply put, the latter rain is the completion of the church for harvest. And so as we look at James chapter uh, number five and verse number seven, the Bible says, Behold, the husband waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Simply put, it's his long suffering, Brother Shane, his mercy and his grace because he was, he, he, we know that he came to seek and to say that which was lost. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. It's his mercy and grace that has kept Christ from coming and drawing the church out of this grace dispensation and calling the church home is so that the, the opportunity stays present for that one more soul to get in by the grace of God. Now, what if we had had the attitude, even so come Lord Jesus at the end of 2020? We'd had a terrible year by, by a carnal way of thinking, uh, this, this, this pandemic and, and stress and, and financial woes and all the trouble that's come in 2020. And if the church had had the attitude, even so come Lord Jesus, we wouldn't have seen them three precious souls that we baptized the other Sunday night Get in by the good grace of God. Now I understand. I'm not going to get. To, I'm not going to get in an argument with you about the age of accountability and all that. That's not my point. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, the Lord is is tarrying right now and holding back from getting the church because He's long suffering and wanting uh, the door to stay open, the opportunity to stay present for folk to get saved in the day and hour in which we live in. It is the only thing that's keeping Christ from calling the church at this point. So be patient, therefore, right? Be patient because the Lord is working not only for lost souls, but he's also working within the church as we learn through our tribulations, through our trials, through our experiences, we understand that we have hope. And so he's working on us 
And as he's working on us, he's working on a lost and dying world so that they could get saved by the grace of God. Now we know not everybody's going to get in. Boy, I sure am glad that I had the opportunity. I sure am glad for the long suffering of our Savior that allowed me the opportunity to get saved by the grace of God. I did reach the age of accountability. I did know there was a hell. I did know that if I didn't get saved, that's where I'd go. But I didn't get saved immediately. The Lord dealt with me more than one time. The Lord come and drew on me on more than one occasion. Did he owe me that? No. He didn't owe me the first opportunity, let alone two, three, four times. But his long suffering, thank God, was there and present And so because of that, I had the opportunity to accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. So we see here that uh, we're dealing with this dispensation and the coming of the Lord to get the church. And so uh, verse 8 says, be ye also patient. So verse 7 starts out saying, be patient therefore brethren. Why? Because the Lord is patient. He hath long patience for it until he received the early and early rain. Then there's this exhortation again. Be ye also patient. So why are we to be patient? We are to be patient because he is patient. We are to be long-suffering because he is long-suffering. We are to be uh, preaching the gospel and getting the word out because he's not only giving the lost and dying world the opportunity to get saved, He's giving you and me the opportunity to go out and give them the gospel that they might be saved. See, he's not not tarrying his coming so that you and I can enjoy everything that this world has to offer and sit on the seat of do-nothing. That's not the purpose. That's not the point. Remember, we've been teaching on the church and Jesus had to have a body, right? Jesus has ascended. We understand that he will descend and come and get the church, but he has ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit has come and the Holy Spirit works in our heart and he works in the church, but the, the, the Spirit of God still works through a body and that body is supposed to go out and function and do what it's supposed to do that we might see souls saved because this is a dispensation of grace and this is a dispensation where mercy and long-suffering is at. And we need to capitalize on the mercy, the grace, and the long-suffering of a precious Savior this evening. All right, and so be also patient. But then we see this next exhortation. Establish your hearts. What does establish mean? Simply this, to fix, to settle in a state for permanence. In other words, he's, he's exhorting these uh, new converts, and, and, and as the church is still young, you see, he's allowing them or letting them know to be patient, for the Lord is patient, and because the Lord is patient and long-suffering, you need to be patient, but you need to establish your hearts. Let me say this, today, we're in an age today in this grace dispensation where the church does not know who they are. We are in an identity crisis and it's not just on the church level, it's in the home. It's on an individual level. Do you know today we live in a society where people do not know who they are? They are what somebody else is until somebody else changes, then they have to chase the change and become what the next person is. I am who I am by the grace of God. And the word of God should define me. 
not the clothes that I wear. I should not chase the vehicles that you drive or the homes that you have or, or, or the latest fashions. And there's nothing wrong, friend, with being clean cut and looking okay and, and trying to dress right in the house of God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, and trying to have what everybody else is. And as soon as a fashion trend changes, listen, I'm telling you, I know preachers that I had faith in five and six years ago, listen, that I preached in their pulpits. Preached in their pulpits. Now their daughters are 14 and 15. They've taken them and put them back in public school. And they play public ball now. And they wear shorts up to here. And they've got holes in their jeans. When I was growing up, mama patched holes in my clothes. I didn't rip holes in them. They have more of their body hanging out than they had put in. And what's sad is these preachers now, their wives, and I'm, Lord help me, I hate, I keep getting on preachers and I don't mean to do that. But these wives of these preachers, instead of being mothers that help train their children, they are now following the fashion trends of the children in the schools that they go to. And it's sickening today, friend. You know what's happened? People don't know who they are. The church don't know who they are anymore. You know why? Because we've left the defining word of God that tells us how to live and what to do and who to be. And who I am is not based on my clothes or what I wear compared to who the next person is and what they wear or what they do. And I, boy, that was great. Don't know how we got there, but be all so patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth now. What are we to to establish? We're to fix our heart. Do you know that Christ, his heart, is fixed? The only thing that is keeping him, you say, well, you can't make God do anything you don't want to do. Boy, I tell you that's true, but it's his long suffering and mercy and love towards us that's keeping the door and the opportunity open for souls to get saved. You can't tell me that mankind can't pull on the heartstrings of God. Oh yes, friend, he can't, you can. Be also patient, establish your hearts. We are in a place in 2021 where we as a church, as homes that make up this church, and as individuals that make up the homes that are in this church need to get rooted and grounded and established in who we are and then stay that way and not allow the fluctuation of the trends of this world to change who we are or what we are or how people see us in the house of God. All right, so anyway, uh, we, we move on here. So be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I wish that we could get fixed and steadfast and unmovable in this day so that when, I'm just gonna camp out here for a second. It just feels like that's what I need to do. I'm gonna bump a stump and hit it again, okay? But there's some churches that are moving with the world. Churches are getting worldly. We, you, need, you need to understand that. The, the, the church is worldly and the world is churchy and it all looks the same, but it's not. And we cannot follow the trend of what local assemblies are doing across this land. We still are to stand out. See, there's a lot of people that go with the trends of this world because they want to look like the trend. They want to look like this world. They want to look like the person that's following the latest fashion. Can I say to you, I'm not looking to be what the next church is. I'm trying to define myself by God's word, not by what the next church or the next assembly is doing down the road. It, it, we go off on whims and, and it's, like, it's like a crowd just follows. You ever, you ever seen something that stinks? All the flies are swarming on it. I don't want to be piled up on what's stinking. 
I'm okay with being separated. I'm okay with looking different. The Bible tells us that we are to be separate. Thus saith the Lord. Why? Because we are a peculiar people. It's, there's nothing wrong with looking different. There's nothing wrong. Now you should look holy. And you ought to be right. You ought to look like you love God. And like God loves you. But we are not to follow a trend. Just because somebody else does it. Well that stump got a little loose right there. Okay. Number nine. Grudge not one against another. Now, doesn't that seem like a sudden change? We've been talking about riches and how riches is going to take a, a lost and dying world to hell. We've been talking about the dangers of it. We've been talking about the dangers of following money and, and letting money be our God and putting our hope and faith and trust in, in money. And we get down to verse 7 and we find that there's this exhortation to be patient and because the Lord is long-suffering and, 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 and mercy and grace is present, that, that, that we need to have that same patience. We need to establish our hearts. We need to get fixed. We need to, we need to get steadfast. We need to get solid. Why? Because, says the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. What's that mean? We just told to be patient because the Lord is long-suffering. That's right. And sometimes what happens is we go the other way. We act like he's never going to come. And then because we act like he's never going to come, then we just quit worrying about why he ain't come. We quit worrying about what it is that we're supposed to do till he does come. See, there's this, there's this both sides of the ditch. Even so come, Lord Jesus, want you to come right now. And then we got this, that well, he ain't never going to show up. And we just kick it back in neutral and stop the forward motion and, and run with the crowd and, and, and just go with the flow. And, and we'll just look like everybody and let everybody look like us. But that's not what we need to do either. Says, be also patient, establish your hearts. Why establish your heart? Why get fixed? Why get unmovable? Why get solid? Why know who you are? Why get grounded? Because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Just because he hasn't come does not mean he isn't coming. You do need to understand that. Why? Notice this. Go back to verse 7. Because the husband waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Is it not interesting that we're dealing with patience and we're dealing with establishing our hearts and we're making sure to be reminded that we don't need to just have the even so come more Jesus attitude, but we don't need to have the attitude of, of kicking it in neutral because the Lord is indeed coming back and this is, this is paralleled with that of seasons, right? The early rain and the latter rain. You don't grow food in the middle of 30 degree weather, all right? You, you, you need to understand there is a season to plant crops and a season to harvest them. And that season, it, it does come to an end. And so the Lord's wanting us to understand that there is a season. You are in a season of grace. You are in a season of long-suffering. You're in a season where my mercy is present. Don't waste it, but capitalize on it. Why? Because if you don't plant, you won't harvest. And if you don't harvest, you won't eat. What are you saying today? I'm saying we have got to work now because there's a future coming. And in the future, we won't be in a grace dispensation. And people are going to die and go to hell. And you and I need to quit being lax and be active in this dispensation that the Lord has given us. All right? So frankly, rather than thinking it's a time of relaxation, 
Right now is the day that we are to be working. Right now is the day that we are to be serious. Right now is the days that we need to be praying for Mount Tabor Baptist Church. Right now are the days that this church needs to be actively seeking lost souls that they might get saved by the grace of God. Why? Because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We don't know when that day is, but we know that that day is indeed coming. Okay? So you need to be patient, but you don't need to be lax because he's on his way. All right, now, uh, Matthew 25 and 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, notice this, Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore. That means to be actively paying attention. You know what happens when we kick it in neutral and we're not actively doing what God wants us to do as individuals? We are not looking for the coming of Christ. We are not paying attention to it. We are not looking towards heaven. We are not thinking about the returning of the Lord. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 uh, says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And it will happen in an hour which we know not. We know not when to expect it. So we look for it. Okay? All right, and so here's what I want you to see. James 5, 9, this sudden change says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Okay, what does that mean? We're talking about the coming of the Lord. It's almost a picture of Christ soon as the doors open and the Lord sends him out to come get the church. We know he's coming just like that. He's ready. He's waiting. He's, he's sitting on go right now. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now, we've just learned that he's long-suffering. Right? He's patient. We're in a grace dispensation. It's his long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, that's kept Christ from coming. But in this warning of being patient, we're also warned to establish our hearts and get fixed because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. But then the next time we hear about him, we see him as the judge. Why? Because when he comes back and gets the church and brings the church out, he'll be, listen, every knee's going to bow, right? Every tongue's going to confess. They will not be this happy-go-lucky attitude when mankind stands before uh, the Lord. We'll be on our hands and knees. And I understand the difference between the, the behemoth seat judgment and the great white throne judgment. I understand that. But I do want you to understand that he's seen as a judge in verse number 9. All right, and so we understand the same Lord that is a Lord of grace and a Lord of mercy and his long-suffering is also a Lord of judgment. All right, so grudge not one against another. Where does that fit into this? Why did we have a sudden change in gears to this matter of grudge not one against another? Because you know what happens when a church gets kicked off in neutral and they quit thinking about the coming of the Lord? Then it's the petty things that show up down at the house of God, down in our homes and down in our lives that we allow to take precedence and control over us because we are not thinking about lost souls. We are not thinking about uh, people getting saved. We are not thinking about the coming of the Lord. We're thinking about what color the chandeliers need to be or the shade of the carpet. Brother Shane was joking with me earlier about something and he said, what color do you want it to be? And it was just a running joke because neither one of us care what color it is. 
But we get caught up sometimes in the color or the fabric or, or, the, or, or all kinds of different things because we're not thinking about the coming of the Lord. That's what's important. And we're not careful. We get these grudges between people. And things begin to happen amongst us because we are collectively a grudging against one another instead of everybody having their eye on a hole in the sky and thinking about lost souls that are going to die and go to hell. So grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the, the judge standeth before the door. All right, and so I, I got to think about this. You know, when you're not paying attention to what you're supposed to be paying attention to, it, it, anything is subject to happening. We talked about the lion and the bear this morning. The, the adversary can come in. Sometimes it's not the adversary, sometimes it's us. In our stinking flesh, we can allow things to quit being about Christ and start being about us and what we like and what we want. And then there's bickering and arguing and fighting and we are no longer focused on the central theme of the idea of the church as a whole. See, rather than there to be schism in the body or, or this body to have issues, this body's to be working smoothly and collectively for one cause. Understanding that we are more efficient together than we are separated. And so it's easy for us. Listen, think, think, listen to me this morning or this evening. This morning I got up and in haste I had my mind on something. And my wife thought something was wrong. And she asked me, she goes, are you all right this morning? And I didn't know what she was talking about. We got cross-threaded and it was my fault. And it was all over me not understanding what she was saying. That's simple. Listen to me. Do you know how easy it is for the church to get cross-threaded because we're not looking at the seriousness of what Christ came to do and what he's wanting to do with the body of Christ, this local assembly, the church as a whole? All right, so understand here, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. It's been probably five, six, maybe seven years, or it could have been even longer since I've been deer hunting. But I, I used to deer hunt regularly. And one morning early, I got in a deer stand, and it was before daylight. And I, I got up in the top of this tree, it was cold, I got warm, and I fell asleep in a deer stand. And for those of you who don't know me, I snore like a steel chainsaw runs. And I was asleep in that deer stand, 30 feet in the air, snoring to beat the band. And my snoring actually woke me up. That's how hard I was snoring. When I woke up, it was daylight. When I looked down, the deer was looking at me. I don't know if I grunted the deer in or what happened, but the deer was staring at me when I opened my eyes and quit snoring. I grabbed the gun and the deer lit out and left the country and I never seen it again. The problem was what I was there to do, I wasn't focused on. I fell asleep and I got lights and I wasn't paying attention. And it snuck up on me and I lost the opportunity and basically I wasted the entire morning being out there. I could have slept in the bed and been a whole lot more comfortable. And that's what happens when the church takes their eyes off of what the church is supposed to be doing. All right, so moving on quickly. James chapter number five, verse number 10. says, take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. There's that word patience showing up again. So we've, we've been exhorted to be patient. We've been talked to, we've learned that the Lord is long suffering. There's mercy, there's grace. This, this, uh, this, this tarrying, if you will, the fact that Jesus hasn't come and taken the church is because of the long-suffering grace of God. 
We're to be patient. We're to establish our hearts because what? Jesus Christ is still coming. We are to stay focused and keep our attention on the right things, not on trivial matters that do not matter. But then he says here, take my brethren the prophets. So now he's given an example. So we've had the exhortation. We've had the warning. Now we have the example. So everything that's been said from verse 7 to verse 9 now is going to be followed up with this example in verse 10. The Bible says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So who are we to take into, uh, take into this example? Who are we to be considering here? The prophets who done what? Spoke in the name of the Lord. That's what we're to be doing, right? We're the church. We're supposed to be telling about the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord. All right, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Let's look at this 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I want to look at an example of someone who suffered. It says, take my brethren, in verse 10, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example. Let's look at an example here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Quickly, we're going to run from verses 24 down through verse number 28. Tell me, or don't tell me, but tell, ask yourself the question, how much of this that we're fixing to read can you parallel to your own life in Christian service? All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 24, Paul says this, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, Save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Pause right here for just a minute. We've got two verses in considering an example. How shameful it is to find out that, the, that what he's given us example for and what he's trying to prevent the, the church from doing is grudging against one another lest you be condemned. To take your eyes off of the cause of Christ and what we're supposed to be doing as a body. How easy it is, but when we get the example and we start looking at the examples, how shameful it makes us feel. I've not been beaten like Paul has. I've not been stoned. Let's, let's look here. It says, um, thrice I suffered, verse 25, shipwreck. In my travels for the Lord, Brother Shane, I don't remember a time where I suffered shipwreck. In any event that I've ever traveled to go preach somewhere, I don't know or think of a time that I've been in a bad accident. A night and a day I have been in the deep. I wonder if we would continue going to church and going to revival meetings and preaching across this land if we knew that we were going to have to have a wreck in order to get there. Think about this. Says uh, a day and a night have been in the deep. I've not had to float uh, uh, across the water trying to tread water uh, in my service for the Lord to stay alive. In journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Perils here, perils there, perils everywhere, right? It says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Pause right here for just a minute. 
Boy, this is going to sound as mean as anything I've ever said, but I don't mean for it to be. But we can get a twinge of a body ache, Brother Shane, and suddenly we can't go to God's house anymore. You know what's happened? We ain't looking for the hole in the sky. We're not considering the one that's going to go to hell and burn for eternity. We got a little, you know, our sciatica's bothering us a little bit, and now we can't go to God's house anymore. Friend, I got news for you. We're a bunch of sissies in 2021. I said we. I didn't say you. Okay, I said we. That includes me. There's things that we allow to cause us aches and pains that keep us and prevent us from doing what we ought to do. And what it is, it's hogwash. It's just silliness. And when we consider these examples, understanding that it is the one that comes, right? The one that's coming to bring the church out, we'll also have to stand before him. And give an account for the deeds done in the body. God help me not to, be, not to look and say I did not go or I was not present or I was not active because I had a little ache or a pain. I know that, that stings, but it, 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 it stings me too. Verse 27 says, In weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst. How many of us have hungered and thirsted trying to be in service for the Lord? In fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Beside all of the things I suffered, the weight and the care of the churches, knowing what? You know what it is to be under a weight and a care for the church? When he was under the weight and the care for the church, it was his love for the church, but it was because he knew what he was doing and the seriousness of it. Why did he go through what he went through? Because it was for the care of the church. It was understanding that he had commission to go see lost souls get saved by the grace of God, for churches to be established. Why? Because Christ needs a body. I mean, because the Holy Spirit needed a body, the Spirit of God. What are you saying? I'm saying he understood the severity of the need to get souls the gospel. So he suffered these things. James 5.10 says, Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Who was it that taught us about the patience? Paul. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience, experience hope. Why did Paul go through this? He had hope. Hebrews 11. Turn with me to Hebrews 11 for just a moment. Let's look at something here quickly. All right, Hebrews 11. I want to start in, um, uh, let's see here. Let's start in verse 32. Now we understand Hebrews 11 is this chapter of those which had great faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Hope is confidence based on a well-founded expectation. We know that Paul has taught that there is going to be tribulation, tribulation, it worketh experience, and experience, or patience, and patience, experience, experience, hope. 
And we see these that had great faith. And in verse 32, the Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Who are we considering? We're considering prophets for an example. Verse 33 says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiantly in fight, valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they, may, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings, and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, the church, that's who us is, the church, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now that is a reference to Christ having to go preach to those in paradise who looked forward to the cross of Calvary but not yet been saved by the marvelous grace of God. But notice this, the very first verse of chapter 12 says, wherefore seeing we also. It's a continuation of what we just seen in this great hall of faith and these prophets that we were considering. And the Bible says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? You say, well, I think it means that them people's up there in heaven looking down at us. Well, I don't think so. There'll be no tears in heaven. But I will say this. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ for the deeds done in the body. When you stand, Brother Shane, before God for what you've done in this life, these great cloud of witnesses that the Bible tells us had great faith, who went through these things that they might obtain a better resurrection, will be within earshot of hearing what it is that the Lord has to say to us for the deeds done in this body. And we will have to stand before these and we're going to feel about this tall when we let little bitty things keep us from doing what God wanted us to do when they suffered great affliction for the things of God. I really thought tonight was going to be sweeter than this, but it is what it is, okay? It says, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Then we get to verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Think about that for just a minute. Now listen to me. What's that mean? We just seen some serious suffering. We, we know that, that this tribulation that we may go through worketh in us patience. And patience experience and experience hope. But all these that we just witnessed, the Bible says here, behold, we count them happy. So this example, these that we are looking at as an example to back up the exhortation and warning that we got from verses 7 through 9. 
Now we see, behold, pay attention, we count them happy which endure. How can we do that? How can we count them happy which endured all that we've seen and all the pain that they went through? Can we count ourselves happy for the afflictions that we endure? Do we? Think about that for just a moment. But how is it that this is possible? It says, ye have heard of the patience of Job. Oh, poor old Job. He's the poster child for patience. When we think of patience, we think of Job. It says, ye have heard of the patience of Job. You ever heard somebody says, oh, you got the patience of Job. The Bible says ye have heard of the patience of Job. Did Job have patience? Think about that question. Did Job have patience? He didn't start out with patience. You read your Bible, go back and look at the book of Job. Job wasn't patient. Job wanted out of the mess that he was in. You know what Job had to do? He had to learn patience. Tribulation brought patience in Job's life. But what happened through the tribulation? He experienced some things. Then what happened? What does tribulation do? It worketh patience, patience, experience, and then what? Hope. Now think about this for just a minute. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We say, I thought Job was pitiful. I thought God was pretty harsh. I thought Job was pitiful. We see right here, James, when he wrote this epistle, says that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. What happened? We didn't, if we're not careful, we don't look at the end of the matter. If we don't, we're not careful, we stop somewhere in the middle of the book of Job. We don't ever make it to the end. How is it that we can behold and count them happy which endure? Well, when we consider counting them happy which endure, we get another example to back up the example that he gave us a minute ago. And it is Job. So I want to look at something for just a minute quickly in Job chapter 19. Turn there with me to Job chapter 19. I want you to grasp this and we'll be finished. Now Job lost some things. Brother West back in revival, he preached about the hedge of protection and how the hedge had been shrunk. And, and, and the devil could not take Job's life because God would not allow it. But everything else was subject, right? So let's look here. We know that Job lost his children, right? Job lost his possessions. Job lost some friends along the way. Job lost his authority with those in his own household. Job was losing his health. I believe Job was losing his mind. But let's look here. Job 19, verse 14 says, My kinsfolk have failed. And my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. Notice this one. My breath is strange to my wife. Now let me pause right there for just a minute. Now think about this. Job's wife told Job to curse God and die. Do you know, let me, let me remind you, Job's wife also lost children. 
Job's wife also lost possession. But Job's wife wasn't the one whose health was in question. God didn't offer up Job's wife to that of Satan. Satan did not have the ability to go take Job's wife's health from her. But something she had to deal with was looking at the man she loved fall into shambles and become a portion or a fraction of the man that he was. Why? She blamed God. Curse God and die. Job, you'd be better off dead. I could sleep better at night if you was dead than to watch you suffer and go through all that I see you going through. But now, Job says what? Woman, you speak like a fool. Even that, even that, that, that warning to go ahead and just curse God and die, he stays faithful. And in his faithfulness, do you know what it cost him? It cost him the fellowship with his own wife. Oh man, Job had lost children. Job had lost friends. Job had lost everything. And then his own wife, his breath was strange to her. You know what that meant? That meant the affection was gone. He wasn't going to come through the, uh, the, 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 he wasn't going to come up to his wife and give her a peck on the cheek. Why? Because she didn't want to kiss him. Her life was in such a state that she didn't want to have anything to do with him. Can I say to you, friend, it strikes pretty far into the heart when you have to serve the Lord and serving the Lord causes the very one you love that you've shared your life with to turn to the point where they don't even want to smell your breath. Behold, we count them happy which endure. How in the world can Job be happy? Look at here, it says my verse 17, my breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of my own body, young, yeah, young children despised me. I rose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me. Now notice this, verse 14 says, My familiar friends have forgotten me. Those acquaintances, you know, that, that you thought was your friends, they don't even know who you are no more, Job. But then there's some that's real close to you. There's a few that you've let really get to know you and those that you was really close to. It says, my inward friends abhorred me and them who I love are turned against me. Man, he suffered so much. Not only did he suffer, but he lost a lot too. All for staying faithful to the Lord. You know what we're supposed to do? What did James tell us to do? He says, be also patient, establish your hearts. Job was fixed in his heart. Nothing was going to uproot or move Job. Not even his wife. And he suffered the loss of his wife and her, her, her intimacy because of his stand for the Lord. Notice this. Go to verse chapter 42. We're talking about beholding that we can count them happy which endure. Job 42, verse number 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. What happened was Job had love and compassion 
towards those that had turned on him. And you and I understand that in tribulation and in trials and in trouble, we're to do what? We're still to be steadfast, unmovable, have our heart fixed, understanding that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. But notice, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters. And all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end. Now pay attention here for just a minute. James chapter 5 says, Be patient therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Now we're calling into question the blessings of Job's life before this happened and after this affliction happened. And it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Let me say something to you. All the blessings that the Lord has blessed us with this side of eternity do not compare to the latter end. And the fight of affliction that we go through on this side of eternity, even though it doesn't even compare to what we see the prophets in Hebrews 11 have gone through, we understand that we can count them happy which endure. We can count us happy which endure. Why? Because you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And we see that Job here, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of them, so on and so forth. And when we get down to verse number 16, after this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Job died having more at the end of his life for 140 years after the affliction than he'd had the years prior. But he'd still ended up dying. He still had to give it up on this side of eternity. I want to say to you, the latter end is better than the, than the prior. Amen. And you and I, if we'll stay faithful, we'll consider the coming of the Lord. We'll stay focused in what the church is supposed to do. We'll work to be fitly joined together so that the Holy Spirit can do with the body of Christ what he wants to do and, and not get to the point where we forget in being patient and, and, and have the attitude that he's not coming back. He's coming. Amen. The season will draw to an end. You and I, rather than take this opportunity to squander this grace, and squander this time. We ought to capitalize on it, understanding that the coming of the Lord does draw nigh. And whether it cost us everything here or not, the latter end will be far worth it in the end. And when you and I get to the portals of glory, and we stand with those of whom the world was not worthy, we can look back on it and say it was worth every mile of the journey. Rather than the Lord have to re reprove me or, or, or for me to find myself in, in, in negative judgment 
I'd like to see those that come before him in judgment because they got saved because I had a part in working with their life and the Lord through me used my body as a service to him that they might get born again. You know, there is a such thing as a well done thy good and faithful servant. It is obtainable or it wouldn't be in the scripture. But we're not going to get it when we let the minute minuscule things of this life prevent us and get us in, get in the way of being what God wants us to be. I know it's staunch. I know it's solid and it's hard and it's, 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 it's serious tonight. But the truth of the matter is a lot of what we have is merely excuses that do not hold water in the grand scheme of things. And our little bit of trouble that we've endured will be nothing compared to those that have to suffer an eternity in hell. So we're going to end right there tonight in James chapter uh, number 5 in verse number uh, 11. I don't know, I'm in the wrong spot here. James chapter 5 in verse number, still in the wrong spot here. James chapter 5 verse number 11. We'll pick back up in verse number 12, maybe next Sunday night. And Lord willing, get right on down through verse number 20. All right, I think what I'm going to do tonight, let's all stand to our feet.